Well, my name is Mike. Hi, everybody. I'm the. Uh, well, thank you. It's good to be back. I am the uh, interim pastor here at Berean. Been gone for quite a while. Appreciate the incredible generosity and opportunity to have a little vacation with my family and then to go to the Philippines. I've been asked by many, many people how it went in the Philippines. It went very well. It's always a, an interesting reality when you bump into culture and how that plays out and trying to be humble and learn and serve in a meaningful way. I was able to visit the, the site where the, the 500 homes were burned. It's a sad, sobering reality. There's one house that's uh, probably almost finished by now. Uh, you would think, uh, given the construction style, and, and that it would be a, a quicker process, but the problem is that the people are essentially squatters. They're very, very poor people. And if they're on a piece of government land, it's easier to get reestablished. We walked by one place, and there were several armed guards there, and it was a piece of private property, and the owner didn't want the squatters back. So you now have these people who, who had a house, and now they burned down. They have no place to build a house. So it becomes a little more complicated than than you might anticipate. And uh, in a similar fashion, when the government gets involved, it isn't always making it easier for the people. Um, sort of like, well, sometimes here. But they're progressing, and I'll, I'll give you some more information later on. But thank you very much for uh, allowing me to go, praying for me, and, and then uh, the very incredible generosity of Berean. Uh, for the people there. Thank you very, very much about that. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the Corley Business Meeting, this thing. We are beginning a seven-part series where we're going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. There is power in a story. Stories help us to connect. Stories help us to remember. Jesus used parables a lot. In the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, at least a third of the recorded teaching of Jesus was in the form of a parable. In the Greek, the word parable means to place alongside. It has the uh, implication that we're going to take something that we know and, and we're going to build on that, and we're going to make a transfer to something we don't know. It goes from the known to the unknown. Parables are, are based upon real, re, uh, real situations. Uh, the, the story makes sense. Uh, it it kind of touches our hearts and minds. And, and when a parable is really effective, we see ourselves in the parable. There is a, a, a long-standing little uh, uh, brief 
simple definition of a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that doesn't say enough, but it says a lot. And so we can, we can just keep that in mind. Well, the question would be, why did Jesus use parables? Why would the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the, the, the ultimate teacher, choose to at least one-third of the time teach using parables? Well, that's a question that the disciples asked. And so it's really nice when we have a question that we actually have a biblical answer. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to kind of extrapolate out and come up. Jesus gives a direct answer to that question. And with that in mind, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus is asked the question by the disciples, and he answers it. So turn your devices on, open up your Bibles to Matthew 13. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17 by way of introduction, essentially, to the parable that we are going to look at before we're finished this morning. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. I would invite you out of anticipation to what the Holy Spirit may have to say to you from this study, from His Word. Uh, so if, would, would you please stand with me as I read and you follow along. I am reading Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. The disciples came to him, Jesus, and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He, Jesus, replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people, people's hearts, has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise... They might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Merciful Father, we ask that your Spirit would be our teacher that we would learn what you want us to learn, that you would guide us into the truth that we need right now where we are. Lord, encourage us, convict us, instruct us, whatever we need. Lord, I pray that you would protect these dear people from an interpretation of, of the passages that I might make that's incorrect. I pray, Lord, that you would protect them from an application that I might make that is inappropriate. Lord, we need you to teach us. 
Thank You, Father, for what You are going to do. Lord, help us to have hearts that are not calloused. Spiritual ears that are attuned and eager to hear and spiritual eyes that are wide open. We will be grateful, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, as we read the question, why do you speak to the people in parables? And then we read the answer. I got to tell you, when I read the answer, I thought, hmm, not so helpful. I don't get it. So I had to think about it. We had to pray about it. We, we, it's, that's, that's the, I fortunately am blessed with that opportunity. So let me do my best to explain to you the answer that Jesus gave. It is an answer that reflects the heart of Jesus in a profound way. Jesus clearly points out there's two different groups of people. There are those who are not calloused, who have spiritual ears and eyes that are open, and they are hearing things that prophets and righteous men have wanted to hear for years and years and years and never had the privilege. They were privileged. They were learning and they were learning more. They were hearing and they were hearing more. And so the parable was designed to help them, just like we said, go from the known to the unknown. It was an incredible blessing. You and I live in a time and a place where we are blessed beyond belief. The resources that we have to help us understand God's Word are just Enormous. Books, internet, radio, television. It goes on and on. I dare say that in most of the world, they don't have the resources that we have. We are blessed. We have the opportunity to learn to gain in our understanding, to be encouraged. What an incredible thing. Well, then, that's one group of people. There's another group of people that, that they have callous hearts. They are not receptive to what Jesus was trying to teach them. They, they were not receptive to Him bringing the kingdom and being the suffering Savior and, and all of that. And Jesus knew that. And so Jesus was trying to protect them. This is how, this is why. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus teaches a, a profound truth. In the few minutes that we have this morning, we're not going to cover a couple of topics that I'm going to kind of raise to the surface for a moment. But Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 20, the following. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed 
because they did not repent. Understand that the miracles of Jesus was truth. It was the opportunity for people to be open and receptive to Him and to benefit from all that He wanted to offer them. Well, He offered it to them, what He wanted them to receive. But they didn't do it. They did not repent. Then He says this, verse 21, Matthew 11. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that have been performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. <coughs> Jesus is teaching us a very intriguing truth about judgment. He says, I have presented to you truth, miracles, light, you have rejected it. If that same truth had been presented to somebody else, they would have repented. So it will be more bearable for them at the day of judgment than for you. They did not have the exposure to truth that the people. Both will be judged. Both will have an incredibly difficult time. Both will end up in hell. But hell is not the same for everybody. There are degrees of punishment in hell based upon the amount of truth the person has received and then rejected. It will be more bearable for them at the day of judgment than for you. It will still be a hard time. There will still be an incredibly negative result, but it will be more bearable. You see, when somebody is exposed to the light, to truth, and they reject it, God holds them accountable for that truth. And so Jesus, knowing the heart of many of His hearers, wanted to protect them from a greater judgment. So He used a parable so they wouldn't get it. And therefore, they are not held accountable for it. Romans chapter 1 tells us that we're all without excuse. Everybody is condemned. There is no excuse. Regardless of when we lived, where we lived, we're all without excuse. Nature itself, read Romans chapter 1, gives us enough information that we should know that there is a God who is powerful. And the vast majority of the world, historically and today, reject that. And when you reject the truth that you have been given, there's no guarantee, there's no promise that God's going to keep giving you truth or give you more truth. Now what the Scriptures do teach us is that when someone responds to the truth, God shows up with more truth. Probably the best way to describe that or to illustrate that, not describe it, to, to demonstrate it, 
in today's world is that there's a growing phenomena in Islamic countries where Jesus makes himself known to people in a vision, a dream. And it's real. And, and they see him and they come to realize this is Jesus. And, and then he goes away. Now, that doesn't render them believers. What they do often is that they go find a Christian and say, tell me about Jesus. And they ultimately, if they so choose, responding to the light that they are given, accept Christ. When we accept the light that we have been given, God in His incredible mercy gives us more light. We see it again and again in the Old and the New Testament. When we resist the light, we have no guarantee that God's going to keep pursuing us. Jesus is saying in Matthew 13, there's, they're not going to get it. So I teach a parable. I use the method of a parable. And it's because He loves them. It's because He, he doesn't want them to experience greater punishment. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. And God will respond to our hearts. Now notice in, in back in, in Matthew 13, in, verse, in the middle of verse 15, there's the word otherwise. Okay, Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and, I, and turn, and I will heal them. You see, when somebody responds to the light, God keeps going. And God shows up in profound, life-transformational, eternity-securing ways. He says, I will heal them. He's not talking here about just physical healing. He's talking about their spiritual problem. The problem that every one of us have, apart from Christ, is that we are separated from a holy God. We are hopeless and helpless. And only the truth of Jesus. That's all we have to offer people is Jesus. And what He accomplished on the cross. And when we, people respond to that, then things move in the right positive direction. Light equals truth. We're judged on the basis of truth. Jesus did not want people to have a more negative experience at this point when he started using parables more and more. Now given that, why did he use parables? So that those who had open receptive hearts would gain greater insight, greater depth, more knowledge, see things that people had wondered about and wanted to see for a long time. When we come to a parable, we need to understand that typically a parable has one primary idea. We tend to want to take things apart and make things, every little piece of it, make more and more sense. We call that spiritualizing. We need to be very careful of that. We need to make sure that we understand the question that was being answered by Jesus or the anticipation of a situation that he was addressing. 
So let's look at our first one in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, 15, and 16. This is a familiar parable. Very familiar parable. This is what it says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You've heard this before, if you've been around church very long. In fact, there's a song about this. Okay, you ready? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know the song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. We teach our children this parable with that little song. We want them to get something. Now, what was the question that Jesus is addressing? What is the potential situation that Jesus wants the disciples to get? We must go to the context. We must put ourselves in their skin, in their shoes. What has happened is Jesus has just started the Sermon on the Mount. And he's given them the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are eight simple statements about life in the kingdom. This is how a, a person of the kingdom of God is going to live. This is not Jesus saying to them, you need to work real hard at being poor in spirit. You need to learn what it means to mourn. You need to be meek. You need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You need to be merciful. You, you need to be pure in heart. You need to be peacemakers. You need to be persecuted. He's not telling them to go out and make all this happen. Because Jesus understood, as we should, that we can never earn God's grace and mercy. But if we are in the kingdom, if we have trusted Christ, then this is how our lives are going to play out. We're going to get more and more of these characteristics, demonstrable qualities. Now, he wants them to understand that as they mature, as they listen to his teaching, allow the Spirit of God to apply it to their heart, that, that they don't just get caught up in learning more. There is a problem in the North American church of people just wanting more information. More Bible study, more classes, deeper, better, richer, and we don't allow it to impact our real lives. We just gain information and we don't change and we don't let God use us as He wants, us, wants to use us. And so Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. In light of what you are becoming, in light of how I am working in your heart and your, and your life, you're being transformed in a real tangible way. 
That's so that you can be my representative. Now, let's go to the old typical preacher thing. We'll go to the three points here, okay? Okay. Disciples are the light. All right? Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. It's not that, it's not that you need to grunt it out or make it happen. It's not maybe. You are. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are the light of the world. Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Don't you love how centuries ago the description of life is the same as today? Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. You and I are to be shining like stars. Now, we're just, followers are to reflect the light. Jesus said in John 8, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Now, which is it? Is Jesus the light of the world, or are we the light of the world? And the answer is yes. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We reflect the light of Jesus. So Jesus is telling us today, when you go through life, when you're on the golf course, when you are at work, when you are in your neighborhood, when you are at family events, when you are in the classroom, when you are in the marketplace, you are the light of the world, if you are a disciple. You can't say, well, I don't really want to do that. So No, no you are. Now, the problem is, we sometimes don't let our light shine. See, light has a potential positive. All right? When Jesus was talking to, to Nicodemus, uh, he said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You see, I am not responsible. You are not responsible for how people respond to the light, to truth. That's not our job. We are responsible to be faithful in letting our light shine. Now, when we do this, the context here talks about directly about deeds. And so it's the idea that we live lives that are distinctive. That, that are credible, that are winsome, that people will look and say, I wonder what's going on there. I kind of like that. But if we don't speak, now you can speak by writing a, a note or a letter, uh, but, but we've got to communicate because people will not connect your life to Jesus. They will simply conclude that you are a nice person. Now they may think you're a little weird. Okay? You're a little abnormal. Uh, but, but they're not going to connect. Oh yeah, that's Jesus in their lives. They're not going to do that unless you tell them. I came to faith when I was in the sixth grade. A, a gracious God uh, rescued me. 
And I was uh, involved in a, a very vibrant, aggressive church with a really good youth group. And so I matured. I gained a lot of knowledge. I, I, and I was a good kid. I was honest. I told the truth. I treated girls appropriately. You know, all that kind of stuff. I was nice in class and did my homework, and obeyed my parents. I was just a nice kid, kind of a weird kid. Okay? I started to understand that that wasn't enough. Because there, there was no way for them to make the connection, the people in my life that would be my classmates at high school. How are they, they going to make the connection between me just being a nice, different kind of guy and Jesus? Well, God opened the door for that. In my 11th grade, my junior year of high school, I was in English class, and Mrs. Hart was the teacher. And Mrs. Hart made a statement. And it made sense at the time. I don't remember the details of, of why she said what she said. But she said, all religions, all faiths are equal, and they all lead to the same God. And, you know, and this was 50 years ago. Okay? And so I'm listening to this, and the class is over, and I go to the front and stand before Mrs. Hart's desk and say, Mrs. Hart, what you said isn't correct. All faiths do not lead to God. All faiths are not equal. Mrs. Hart looked at me and said, okay, Mike, I'm going to give you equal time. Next week, you will be making a presentation of what you believe to the class. Mrs. Hart was a good teacher. So I walk out of there sweating bullets. What am I going to say to my peers? How am I going to, what, you know, so I, I'm praying and studying and talking to my youth pastor and everybody I can get my hands on to help me come up with my little, little presentation. So I give my little presentation. Live through it. Okay? Class is over. Mrs. Hart motions me over to her desk. So I walk up. And she says, Mike, my husband was Jewish. And he is deceased. If I believe what you're telling me, I have to conclude that my husband is in hell. Now, understand, I was a junior in high school. I had no way to respond. I didn't have any idea what to say to her. But she got it enough to know that, that, that there was another approach. Years later, my father, the plumber, talk about my father, was in Mrs. Hart's house. And he's telling me how they started talking about me. And Mrs. Hart told my dad that I was a unique student. She had never had anybody do what I did before. I don't have any idea if Mrs. Hart came to faith. I hope she did. But I don't know. But she was exposed to the truth. 
You see, it's not my job to get a response. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to be a representative of Jesus to let your light shine. But if you don't connect it with words, open your mouth, write a letter, something, they're never going to make the connection. You see, Mrs. Hart saw me as a bright student, a good student. She, she, I, you know, I, if I had been a jerk, she wouldn't have given me the time of day. But because I was a decent student, she listened to me. One author says it this way, we speak the truth so people will know it. We live the truth so people will know it is real. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Our light is in how we live and it's in how we communicate how that is connected to our relationship with Jesus. Disciples are the light. Light has a potential positive impact. And then ultimately, God gets the credit. Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, how are they going to praise your Father in heaven if they don't know that you have a Father in heaven? Somehow they found that out. And we tell them. And when, and when people who have an open, receptive heart to see the light, to receive the light, then they end up praising God. And God gets the credit. Now, please understand, none of us are perfect in this. None of us. We are all imperfect. We are all inconsistent. Sometimes we're better at it than other times. And because we're inconsistent, we're all hypocrites. Every single one of us. Now, in the first service, I made a suggestion, and some people really took it a little extra far, but uh, kind of look at the person next to you, and in your head, don't say it out loud, say, you're a hypocrite, okay? Now, some people really thought that was fun, and they wanted to say it, but, but I'm, not, I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm just sim simply saying that all of us are hypocrites. And here's the deal. Every person <laughs> that's out there is a hypocrite because everybody says they value something and they don't always live like they value it. Whether it's, it's you know, protecting the environment or you know, whatever it is. We're all hypocritical. So get over that. Somebody says to you, well, you Christians are all a bunch of hypocrites. Look at them and say, you're absolutely right. We're all imperfect. Now the question is, are you being you know, blatantly obnoxious? Or is this just the normal inconsistency that we have as fallen sinful people? When we are trusting God, when we are allowing God to work, the result is that people, according to this teaching, We'll see our good deeds. Now, notice the parable. Get the, get the idea of the parable. Everybody knows what a lamp is. Jesus 
The people hearing this knew what a lamp was. They, that's the world they lived in. A little clay thing and you know, a dim flicker. But they knew that you don't put it down here, you put it up here. They, they understood that's the known. Jesus is now going to the unknown and saying that's true spiritually. As a, a lamp in a dark room keeps you from bumping into walls and tripping over other people and those kind of things, as you gain insight into the truth of God's love, and you, you deal with the ultimate problem of sin. So he goes from the known to the unknown. This last spring, my oldest daughter, who is a high school girls volleyball coach, she played volleyball in high school and college. She was an assistant coach for several years. Now she's, this year, she's the head coach. That's trivia. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, but um, anyway, um, you need to get the picture here. And uh, so last, last spring, one of her key, stellar girl volleyball players, her father died suddenly. Uh, just, you know, one of those things that just kick, kick, kick the air out of a, out of a community. A, a quality guy. And from what we can discern, probably a believer. But, not active in church at the time. And, but anyway, so, the mother of this player wife of the guy who died suddenly, unexpectedly, and the daughter are in the midst of the confusion that comes with that kind of grief. It's a young guy, he's in his 50s, I think. And so, they don't, they're just processing this, and they come to the realization that they need God. And so who do they seek out? They seek out my daughter because how she had conducted herself as their coach, as she invested in their lives, and how she had, in a, a winsome, appropriate, non-judgmental ways, connected her life to Jesus. So they sought her out when they needed help. Well, my daughter's pretty smart, so she, she, called, she gets dad uh, to talk to this lady. Like, I've got all the answers. And I don't. Uh, but, uh, so... In the last uh, couple of months, we, my wife and I met with this lady. And she had all the understandable questions, and, and she hasn't come to faith yet as far as I know, but she's still talking. And she wants to talk with Sue and I again. The, the daughter, through Jenny, talked to the guy who was the former youth pastor when I served in the church in that community. And, and, and she's ready to... We think, we think they're both going to come to faith in the not-too-distant future. Uh, but that's how God does it. We find ourselves in real-life situations. We're, we're trying to honor Christ with how we live. That's the good deeds. When we connect that to Jesus, Verbally, 
then people will be attracted to the light as we reflect the light and ultimately they're attracted to Jesus. You see, we have nothing to offer people but Jesus. That's all we've got. But that's enough. And that's an eternity issue. So I would just invite you to let your light shine. Now Jesus is a little more aggressive. He says, let your light shine. Would you pray with me? Father, help us not to hide our light. Help us not to be too timid or ashamed of you or so insecure that we aren't willing to to take the risk. Lord, your word tells us, you taught us that that people hated you, they're going to hate us. But Lord, we, we, we leave the results to you. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Thank you for these men and women. I pray, Lord, that as they move out into the real world, the world beyond the walls and property of this church, wherever they find themselves, may they be sensitive that they have the incredible privilege and responsibility to let their light shine. Lord, help us not to hide it. And then, Lord, we would ask, according to your will and your grace and your mercy, that you would use your working in our lives to help connect people to you. Father, we will be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let your light shine.